through the season and I hope you're not tired of my voice and I hope you're not tired of Lee Beckman's voice because Lee is yet again returning to the show and he's going to be with me for the next two episodes. Bless his noble heart. He drove all the way up from Regina to hang out with me and to talk a lot of movies from the 1960s. This is the first of two-part exploration of the best horrors that the 1960s have to offer. You'll hear in our introduction that uh Lee and I have a few caveats that we need to sort of drop before we start the list. We are maybe not as well exposed to this particular decade as we are to some of the others, but I think we came through in true form. This first episode we are going to be reviewing in full-length reviews of The Last Man on Earth, Onibaba, and Vi, or V-I-Y. And we're going to rank our favorite horror movies from the 1960s from the 30th to the 16th position. So that's the business that you have just plugged into your ears this very day. If you have feedback for me, and I would really welcome it, you could send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. You can send feedback, and I would really enjoy hearing that. Um, Check out the website at rankandreview.ca. There's some friendly podcasts to me, the Terror Table Podcast, and of course the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Rank and Review drops every other Wednesday. And thank you so much for listening. Let's set the scene. Oh, it's hot. Hot. We're in a, a pretty dingy, not well lit, not well uh, air circulated garage <laughs> for the purposes of giving you the best audio possible. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> because we deliver. Um, we deliver. I'm sitting in the garage with Mr. Lee Beckman, a man mm-hmm. who I've never met to or, or spoken to before in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, exactly. that's true. <laughs> so that's all bullshit. Uh, we've known each other forever. Yeah. But I go back to the Halcyon pre-COVID days where uh-huh. you and uh, a mutual friend, Jason Dubray and myself, yep. talked about the horror movies of the noughties, the 2000s. Yes. And... Pretty much right away after that, I started to get to work on prepping for this 1960s episode. That's true. And uh, that was three years ago? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, 
so it's been a long journey and some of the movies that I'll be talking about especially when we get to the list it might have been a while actually now yeah, since I've actually watched them yeah. but even more so than when you and I discussed the 70s I just want to attach a writer to this episode yeah. my knowledge of horror cinema in the 60s is nowhere near my knowledge of horror movies of the 80s, 90s, and 90s. It's yep. just, it predates me. Yep. I don't have that background. Yep. I tried to watch as many of the high-profile movies that were, you know, the, the wisdom of the internet could put in front of me. Yep. I tried to catch up with some Hammer Horror and yep. some of the highlight reel out of, you know, the Roger Corman library. But there's no way that I could be an all-encompassing to say that I'd done due diligence. And... There's going to be misses. There's going to be gaps on this list. And yes. I would love to hear recommendations. So usually we like to say this is going to be the top 30 horror movies of a given decade. Yeah. These are my top 30 horror recommendations from the 60s sure. that I have seen. Yes. <laughs> I think that is well put, well said. Yeah, my list also, there. there's a couple of, I'm sure, either classic horror movies or films that are great example of the 1960 horror movies that don't make this list be just because uh, I just didn't get around to see them. I, I would like to you know, especially call out, uh, I think it's the, there's an Eyes Without a Face, I think, horror movie. I mean, right. It's a French film. Yeah, it'll come up. Uh, as well as Quaidon. Quaidon, I think. Quaidon. Um, everything I've read about it seems interesting. I just couldn't get around to it. Like, it's, it's a not that three I hour movie. It's a three hour movie. Yeah. Um, so there are going to be notable exceptions. I And a lot of these are more personal antidotes. Like there's a couple of movies, especially my guilty pleasures where I know it's not good, but yeah. kind of I that. like it. It's on my list. Yes. Yes. And there'll be a lot of those where I'm justifying the choice either yeah. because it's personal or because I don't know what how horror genre people will call this one. Yeah. But it counts to me. Yes. What I was looking for was an actual emotional reaction. Yes. A lot of times when you get to older films and I'm usually more thinking in the 50s, but there's some crossover to the 60s. Yeah. The artifice and just sort of the era of the filmmaking age that yeah. they're in. Is there's a layer of separation that yeah. you just can't like it very rarely do I get lost in it you know I'm still yeah. charmed by it and I can get engaged to it but I watch a movie made from that age differently yeah and the 60s seems to me to be a time of transition because yes. you kind of have both you have the old school sort of very straight stage performance where everybody's sort of talking in a very yes, kind of yes, projecting very artificial rom almost romantic period style and slowly transitioning into the <clears throat> more naturalistic acting that was going to take over in the 70s yeah. largely uh and then you got sort of the turbulent times going on in the 60s so there the isn't. movies start to express that you know the movies start getting a little bit more random and fucked up as it gets later on yeah, into the 60s stream of consciousness kind of but you're still feeling that 50s morality being forced upon the movies. Um, the, there's, uh, yeah, like sometimes when you're watching the movies, you, you, you smile at inappropriate times. I found that happened to me a lot in these in some yep. of these movies. Yep. The scores are bigger, you know. Uh, there's a choice now, especially in the first half of a decade. Yeah. It was a conscious choice whether you made your movie color or, or black, black and, and white. white. You know, Technicolor was more expensive to develop the film and to get everything just so, but people were 
largely turning away to black and white movies. But um, a lot of the really great horror movies of the 60s retained that sort of black and white aesthetic mm -hmm. while still feeling, the best of them, feeling more modern. So, yeah, a lot of stuff on my list will be the stuff that maybe feels a little bit more modern compared to those two ends of the decade and that I actually got an emotional reaction from that, you know, was intended. <laughs> yep. Um, what I love about this decade is we have, there's definitely a huge, well, culture war, culture shift, whatever you want to call it, especially in relations to sexuality. Um, 1950, you know, in the 1950s, whenever it came to like the love scene, it would, you know, fade away. We would, you know, have our heroes, you know, maybe embrace and kiss. But beyond that, we don't really go into the bedroom. I mean, yes, there was random, you know, maybe random, you know, scenes of nudity, but it was not usually of the sexual kind. Here, we've got human flesh put on display. <laughs> we have a battle between sort of like the Puritan thoughts of old and this new wave of acceptance of sexuality. Yeah, it's the beginning of the decade, they kiss, the yeah. camera pans to the window, we yeah. fade out, yeah. and by the end of the 60s, they're fucking. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's simply put, yes. But, but there's even, like, just lots of these films where repressed sexuality is a, in a major theme with yeah. some of these films and characters. Um, well. One of the honorable mentions that I'll talk about is a movie called No Way to Treat a Woman. Sure. Which I just found a hilarious title because it could be a tribe attributed to like the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> like, like every yeah. movie. And it's funny you watch it like how even in some of the movies I like, like Children of the Damned or whatever, something like that, the women are just such dismissed characters. They yeah. are so second tier yeah. and they're so comfortable in being second tier. Like it's... Yeah. It's it's a little bit cringy, but it, it's it's not aware. It's not making a statement of it. It's just reflecting the reality of the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you get to the end of the sixties when things start to become feminist, and Rosemary's Baby comes out, and yeah. you know, Andy Warhol starts dropping acid into the public pool. Sure. <laughs> things start uh, oh, to get Andy. a little. Things start to get a little strange, and yeah. uh, that sort of leads to the come down darkness and yeah. the the birth of the modern age of cinema at least for me because that's when i was born <laughs> yeah the 70s we so. also have the vietnam war going on at this point and that definitely the, there's it definitely affects i think some of the movies on here uh, like there the you know th that as well um this is I, i'm gonna be curious i'm curious about your list man well, i'm curious about yours is there anything else you want to say by way of introduction to the 60s before we start this i can't believe we're here <laughs> i can't believe we're here uh, it's it's been a long time coming because we've been planning this for a while. Yeah, and we, 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 we you did it right. Like you said, you're going to be coming to Saskatoon. Let's just record it. Like let's not talk about it. Let's not yeah. hum and haw about it. Let's just pull the trigger on this bitch. And I appreciate that because I think I needed the slap into reality because another three years will go by <laughs> and yeah. I'm never going to watch enough of these movies. Yeah, I do want to get deeper into Hammer actually. Yeah, some of those movies are actually pretty fun. Yeah. So um, you got to pick three movies from the 60s, yes. and I got to pick three movies from the 60s. Yes. Uh, what did you pick and why? Uh, I for the reviews, pardon me. For the reviews? We're actually going to review. Uh, well, see, since you mentioned Hammer, um, I think my probably favorite Hammer film that I saw out of all this was The Gorgon. Okay. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Medusa, well, not Medusa herself, but The Gorgon Sisters. Um, it's your proto prototypical monster movie, but it just made me smile from ear to ear. 
uh, directed by a uh, regular Hammer filmmaker as well. But and it's got like it's got the, the the dynamic duo of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So the Gorgon is one. Um, I found another great midnight movie uh, in Mentango. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, and I'll save it for the review itself, but um, this is going to be remade by a, a favorite filmmaker of ours. It's really interesting. There's, it has a lot to say about class structure, but also drugs are bad, <laughs> while embracing a lot of drug imagery. Um, uh, and also, like, there's a great Asian influence on this decade as well. Not so much maybe like in the back half, but definitely by when we get to the top ten, I was uh, I could definitely appreciate uh, the Asian influence on my list. And then to continuing that trend, uh, a film that could easily be a drama more than a horror film. Um, that fucking mask, though. Yeah, that mask is. I don't know. I thought post-apocalyptic. If they were to do this in a you know sort of a different time, it's de- you know this would be a great nightmarish post-apocalyptic movie. Um, Onibaba. I really dug the crap out of this movie. Um, it's a very adult movie. I think it's you know like a lot of these horror mo- movies on the list could be or like sort of like date night. You know, let's, let's go to the movies and turn our brains off and be you know entertained and scared where. There's a lot going on with Oni Baba. Oh, yeah, and we will get into it. Yeah, so those are my three. So um, I hummed and hawed and hummed and hawed over my three, but uh, I landed on The Innocence, which is an adaptation of The Turn of the Screw, Yeah, which is a classic, classic form ghost story, Yeah, um, which is, again, one that I saw at a young age, and that and uh, another movie that's going to be on my list sort of awakened me to the fact that movies that were quote-unquote old... Yeah. And quoting black and white, which I was very dismissive of as a young person, yeah. could still be effectively scary. And I, I think yeah. the innocence still is proudly hanging on to that mantle. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to take a look at The Last Man on Earth because I'd become a late stage fan of Richard Matheson. Yeah. I mean, I was just late to the party. I, he was always a really good writer. But, um, you know, I Am Legend and Omega Man I've seen, and I'd like, I just wanted to get last man on earth off the list <laughs> um someone made the bold claim it's the closest of all the adaptations to the source material is that true or not um well i it's true in that like i think that the novella is allowing a lot of am- ambiguity but we're yeah. of course gonna we're gonna talk about it yeah. and the last one's a very strange um russian film called v v i y i want to see that's how it's pronounced i i i hope that is correct yeah. it's the name of an evil spirit I and mean, it's a very short very arty very russian strange it actually uh, that and onibaba are the two movies that i think you could like just project on a wall without sound and yeah. they would still absolutely be riveting to yeah. look at yeah <laughs> like there's yeah. just something weird about it and again i'd never heard of the movie and then all of a sudden there was this like noise about it mm-hmm. so i checked it out and uh uh, it, 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 it hit my imagination such that I thought we need to talk about it. <laughs> so here we, those are the, those are the six movies that we're going to review yeah, as well as listing our in quotes, top 30 sixties <laughs> horror movies yeah. that we have seen. Yes. I like that. Thank you so much for being here. Brother. Hey man, thanks for having me.
All right. Um, Oni Baba. You. Here's another interesting number. This is written and directed by Kenito Shindel. You. Uh, starring Naboku Otowa and Jutsuko Yoshimura. You're getting uh, better. Thank you. I'm just doing the best I can. Yeah. So, like I'm an expert. Yeah. Th- this is during, I'm not sure of the exact time frame, but there's a wars going on, feudal Japan, I think, and uh, samurai and whatnot are going on. And this mother and daughter are, are eking out an existence basically yeah. by killing and robbing samurai that sort of pass through this yeah. crazy field of tall grass that they seem to live in. And uh, they're just doing what they can to survive, yeah. but it's pretty brutal. They're they are serial of, killers. They're like, hunters and murderers. There's no denying that. And they, they've been at this for a while. Two years at least. Yeah, uh, but they're looking at it as survival, and as we approach it, since we're following them and we're kind of... Well, I look at it as these people are doing whatever they can to survive. Yeah. The whole narrative is sort of based on this, this folklore story involving this, this mask. Some woman decides she's going to scare a rival yeah. using this sacred mask, and she put this mask on and jumps out and scares her mm-hmm. in a trivial way and makes her run away, but she finds that she can't remove the mask. Yeah. And after all these just trying, she finally releases the mask, but it costs her her face and mm-hmm. her beauty. Mm-hmm. We kind of get around to that eventually, but yeah. only Baba the movie is much more about the horror and effect of war. Mm-hmm. These women aren't on the front lines of war, but they've been abandoned and they've been left to suffer and live this terrible existence. Yeah. And it doesn't get better for them. This gentleman that they meet threatens to break the dynamic. Yeah, and he's a pig. Like, he's not a nice person. I don't know why they don't kill him. They have no problem killing all these other people. Yeah. But this guy they give a pass to, and I don't get it. I don't know if, you know, if he's supposed to be dreamy or supposed to be what. The mom senses right away what's yeah. happening here. Yeah. The daughter's going to fall in love. They're going to leave her or, or, or worse, just take, yeah. take everything and abandon her to her fate. Yeah. And what can she do to... To deal with this and again much like we talked about with Vi uh, I do think narratively it is a heartbreaking disturbing story yeah but it is the sound and images yep that just punch their way into your your subconscious yeah I talked about it during the rankings but like just the sound of the grass this weird hissing mm-hmm. rainy combination sound becomes increasingly aggressive and threatening mm-hmm. as the movie goes on and that fucking mask man is yep. genuinely creepy yep. and you see reproductions of it everywhere all of the time and no matter how many times I've seen that mask it retains it's chilling you know aesthetic yep. so I don't like the, the performances are strong the story is strong yeah. and the visuals are strong there's really Nothing not to recommend here in Onibaba, except yeah. for the fact that it's an overwhelmingly unpleasant story. Yep. Yeah, no. That's where I start with Onibaba. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I am nodding my head in approval. Um, th- 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 this t- takes place, by the way, in a civil war in the 14th century, if you wanted to be okay, thank you. technically I, I accurate. I so bad about the history of this part of the world. Yeah, so. well, look, man, I'm just pulling this up on... Uh, I have yeah, I'm not trying to be like a total expert here. Um, yeah, I plead ignorance on all this history. For me, this is like a horror movie. It might as well be set in post-apocalyptic world, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, this made me actually... Uh, uh, Kanedo Shindu is the guy. 
and I sort of looked up on this guy on, on his like body of work, if you will, uh, and uh, discovered like he was a very prolific Japanese filmmaker. Um, he did a film called Children of Hiroshima. It takes it obviously from the side of the Japanese after the war that apparently at, at the time was you know quite this big international hit. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I I don't know. Don't have a lot of uh, experience with cinema of that area of the world. Again, unless it's a genre entry, chances are I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, he also, uh, apparently he was a quite popular filmmaker. People were excited to see his films back in the day in Japan. Yeah. Uh, he also, do you remember that Richard Gere dog movie, Hatchie? I know that it exists. I've never seen it. It's a total tearjerker. Like, there's something wrong with you if you're not, if you're not crying by the end. But yeah. it, it is actually based off a traditional Japanese story. Anyways, he did a movie of that. It's a very good story. Like, you are weeping by the end. So I'd well, be curious to see that. obviously he can manipulate you emotionally. Because it is interesting how we, or at least I won't speak for you, I at least empathized with yeah. these women. Oh, no. like the, the fact that they do terrible, terrible things. They are villains, but you're definitely empathetic. You understand why they are here. Yeah. And it's set up, even as the movie starts, that there are cracks in this relationship already. Yeah. Like, it, nothing good is going to come of this. And you are kind of wondering, because like they do have this connection where the daughter is, has been married to the son, and but has been gone, and even is told early on in the film that they are dead. Both women are devastated by the death of her son slash husband. But they're told that story. They don't know that yeah. it's true. Yeah. And again, does the fact that he gave them that information, is that what bought him his life? Maybe. Um, there's so much that we don't know. And like, yeah. yeah, he's coming from the front lines of the war, so... He is obviously fucked up and damaged too, but yeah. I would like to understand. I don't know if it's something that I just missed in the narrative, yeah. or if it's a cultural thing, or if it would be understood as a piece from the original fable, but yeah. what is the significance of this guy? Yeah. Why do they deal with him instead of doing with him what they do with every other dude that they meet in the movie, which yeah. is kill him and steal his stuff? Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, because not five minutes before, they really do pick apart this wounded samurai that's on the run who is being chased, like, yeah. and he's easy pickings, and they are ruthless to him. They, they slit his throat and throw him down river. I, you know, special shout out to the pit where they throw these bodies. There's almost this sort of supernatural element to it, but it is very much a character in the film along with the tall, you know, grains or things of grass. And every time they drop someone in the pit, like it's part of their day yeah. almost. Yeah. The repetition of it actually brings to mind Last Man on Earth too. Yeah. Uh, they lose a little bit more of themselves each time that they're there. Yeah. The first time they did it, they might be really questioning it. Yeah. But by now, it's just Thursday morning. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's just how they live now. No, like the first I'd say forty-five minutes of the movie is you're seeing the day-to-day -day life of these women, yeah. where they are vultures who you know will poke their head out of the tall grass and then quickly kill a, a wounded animal, if you will, a running away young soldier who's has just not had a good day. Yeah. Just trying. Everyone is trying to survive, and then they go to town and they sell the money. And obviously, the guy knows who's buying this armor of what, what they've been up to, and treat it as such. Like they get just they, you know they, they don't get the usual two bags grain of rice, if you will. No, they don't get what it's worth, but yeah. they get enough to survive, which yeah. is I guess their goal after that. Yeah. And then shit starts getting bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is where we establish. Yeah. No, um, and 
there's also I, I love this word now anonymity you don't know if the guy's playing the women at all like I agree that it could have easily yeah, you know he's like this ultimate con man and does sort of set in motion like he clearly wants to sleep with this young woman yeah and, and you guys need me all of a sudden. Yeah. They've been surviving all of this time. They yeah. clearly don't need him. Yeah. Or if they need him, there's something that they need from him that they can't provide themselves. Yeah. So penis? They need penis. Well, yeah. That's another thing that like I found this film fiercely erotic. There's lots of long shots, and it's totally believable because it's so hot. Yeah. Heat is another... The humidity Character of this movie almost. is another thing that you it is definitely an element of the movie it's adding to everybody's misery yeah like it's not sexual but these women are so hot that they're sleeping kind of in the semi-nude and you can see the sweat off their bodies yeah and on the ground in a pile basically they're yeah. sleeping and even as they sleep their yeah. flesh glistens yeah yeah so the attention to detail I admire like I said it's almost another element or character in this movie in this movie that just helps it so much that you know when the young daughter, you know, finds herself attracted to this really pig of a man. You know that no good is going to come of this, and it creates this, I don't know, dichotomy is the word, if you will. It but threatens the relationship with yeah. her mom. And that's when the things really start to go downhill. And, of course, she makes that fatalistic, but, you know, I mean, she's earned this punishment choice of that demon mask. And I, I did mention that William Friedkin calls this the scariest movie ever made. Um, there's elements where I could see where he got exactly, especially the mask. Uh, it's the cumulative effect, yeah. too. The mask, again, I always go back to the mask, it's fucking scary. Yeah. But it's scene after scene of that, the sound of the wind, and the yeah. heat, and the degradation, yeah. and yeah. like, it just brings you to this place of miserable desperation, and yeah. that's where this world exists. Yeah. That's where you are when you wake up first thing in the morning in this yeah. world. Yeah. And it's like, death almost is a relief. Yes, like, it is. Um, I even love the ambiguity, there's that word again, of the ending. Yeah. Like, the old lady for sure, I think, didn't make the jump. I think we are meant to think, even though it does sort of stop and fade to black, we don't see her go down the hole when she's chasing, at least the woman. But... Did even the younger woman make it? I feel like nobody wins in this movie, personally. Yeah. Even if she did survive, like, what is left of her as a person? <laughs> yeah. I do think, much like a lot of the movies we talk about, yeah. they do purposefully deal in, in uh, ambiguity. Yeah. But, in my opinion, yes, the old lady is definitively uh, falls into the pit that she's slowly been falling in yeah. her entire life. Yeah. Escaping the field is as big enough an escape as anything else. But she falls into the pit, yeah, yeah. according to the narrative. So there's nothing wishy-washy about it. Okay. And then the other one falls down uh, and to take the possession of the mask. Yeah. So the mask lives to continue yeah. to fuck with the world another day. Yeah. And However you choose to interpret the ending, I don't think it's a happy ending. Is no, what I'm no, no, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. This has been a long roundabout to yes, I agree with you. It's a very memorable movie, and I think fans of things like David Lynch, which I like to bug, you know, yeah. people, uh, or not David Lynch fans, but mm -hmm. I like to sort of complain about David Lynch, but this gives you that art house horror perspective that yeah. uh, um, I do think there's a fine line between 
pretentious and you know effectively this film never felt pretentious at though. all yeah at all and I'm, I'm i'm glad to it because the one thing that will kill the stakes yeah it will kill the characters that will kill everything yeah is when i feel that waft stink yeah of pretentious and yeah. uh, pretentiousness and it never happens here yeah um i think like a lot of the movies that i really connect to in the 60s it's as much an experience as a film. Yeah, uh, I would love to see this at the Plaza Real. It's not as uh, subjective as I'm suggesting the ending is, but yeah. I do think it's another one of these movies where you take from it what you bring to it. Yeah, um, I love uh, a special shout out to the sequence when the old lady finally does put the mask on, and I, and she's done it twice. I think she does it twice, and that's the second time when it officially latches Seals onto her, her onto her flesh. But she wants to scare. I think both, you know, obviously her daughter-in-law away, but also the guy, and she comes out at night. There's that perfect shot of her, like almost swaying with yeah, the grass. Yeah, comes out, and it, it, it's it's a very scary sequence. The, the mass helped, but I just went, oh, I get it. I get why they're calling this a horror movie, and ah, I get why it's nightmare-inducing. Yeah. Oh no. Um, this is a cold, this is a hot, hot, you know, sweaty, bitter pill to follow. You are kind of left with this is the birth of an actual monster, yeah. Uh, because, like, I agree, I agree with you. Anything can go with this young woman now, yeah. where she could continue doing what she's doing, like living, you know, body to body, day to day. But can you know birth this legend of this monster that lives in the tall, tall grass? Um, who knows where if that's actually what happens? But it's a sort of a great place to, to, to end that story. Yeah, it's resolved, but it's uneasy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I really really like this movie and can definitely understand why it's gotten a lot of critical acclaim. If you have not seen it, people go see Owning Baba. It's in both our top ten. Yeah. from the 60s that we have seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With <laughs> lots of uh, justifications and hesitations, I'm sure. Uh, what was your 30th ranked and why? Well, this is my guilty pleasure of the list. As traditional. I, yeah, yeah. yeah um, and uh, this th- this goes back to my childhood and I'll have to, you know, at least lay some groundwork here. Um you, of course, know the Broadway theater, Larry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, back in the day, um, they used to have a dollar matinee. Yep. Um, and I would, a lot of, I would say a lot of my money was devoted to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they would show movies, all kinds of movies, really, that kids could watch. Like, it was a hard day's night. They had help. Um, they had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, um, The Dark Crystal, The Last Unicorn, which really traumatized traumatized me. Something about that movie. I don't know. Anyways. To uh, the 60s, though. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> Focus. This is number 30. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Anyways, um, one film they showed a lot of was King Kong versus Godzilla. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, of course, it's giant, you know, you know, men in rubber suits battling each other. But 
I think I saw that film at least seven times at the Broadway theater with a dollar <laughs> matinee. And they showed both versions of it. They had both the American and the Japanese one because in the Japanese one, Godzilla wins. And in the American one, King Kong lives. I have so many memories of just like a kid going running down University Drive with my change in my pocket and going to the pink store and then going to the Broadway theater and seeing King Kong lives... When I saw it, it was in the '60s. I was like, "That's my, uh, that's my sentimental favorite." Thing. Well, look at us starting out in perfect alignment. Are you kidding me? Number thirty, I ranked King Kong versus Godzilla. Now I'm scared. Are we the same? Person? I'm playing with my nipples well, now. <laughs> here's the thing: like I did it as the guilty pleasure and yeah. with the caveat. I really do think it's the highlight reel of the like King Kong fighting the squid yeah. and the big fight between King Kong and Godzilla. I know. And fast forward to everything else. Yeah. Like, it's it's brutal. Yeah. The King Kong suit is not very good. Nope. But there's just some weird lowbrow fun to it. And, yeah. like, people lined up around the block. Like, you talk about your excitement to see it. Like, yeah. it looks worse than Power Rangers level. Oh, yes. Like, it looks campy, yeah. like, deliberately, oh my god, They're geez. train sets that these actors are walking over. But... Before that, you know, oh my god, let's point and laugh at it. Yeah. Yes. It's my guilty pleasure pick. Yeah. This is weird, though, that we're starting in <laughs> that's, exactly that, that's the really same weird. place. I love this scene where, like, King Kong and Godzilla are taunting each other, too. Like, it's just like... Uh, King Kong uses a tree, like a plunger, yeah. and is jamming it down Godzilla's throat. I know. This is, this is, this is why we watch these things. I know. Like, you <laughs> just imagine, like... <laughs> You're literally going, awesome! Even, like, the new remake they had recently, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. But I'm sure there's some Toho Godzilla whatever fanboys that will tell us there were so many better Godzilla oh, yeah. movies than this in the 60s. Yeah. And they're probably right. Yes. Guilty pleasure pick. Yeah. What's your number 29? All right, so this is the first of, I would say, at least a few Hammer horror films, and it's The Curse of the Mummy's Tome. Not original in any way, shape, or form. This is the st- prototypical... You know, rich people go dig up a, a pharaoh that they shouldn't. There's a curse. Uh, and, of course, they don't listen to the curse. The mummy comes back and kills a whole bunch, a bunch of people. And there's a twist. And who cares? It's mummies killing people. So, uh, so is this like... I haven't seen it. Is this like the rat bandage mummy? Or is this the one yes. of the old school? Oh. Like, like where they have the weird placid wooden mask over it. No, no. This is this, this mummy is all wrapped up. In right. fact, like they can like it almost doesn't even have a face. You can barely see the eyes and every, everything. It's, it is actually... <laughs> what a real mummy would sort of look like in a lot in well that might be a far stretch but it's all cloth that's all I'm saying right so Curse of the Mummy's Tomb okay again I don't have anything to contribute to that one because that's one of the many horror or hammer horror movies that I have not seen from that decade but 29th place I end up putting this here um it could maybe be also considered a guilty pleasure sure there's a lot of for its weirdness but it's called X the man with X-ray eyes. I, that's another one I missed. It's the uh, first of, believe it or not, three Roger Corman films that has made the list. Yeah. It stars Raymond Land, and it's uh, from 1963. High concept, low budget, and in a lot of ways, arguably, like, ahead of its time or means. Like, the concept at first that he can see through clothes, fun. But yeah. then he can see through the skin, and then he can see through people, and then he can see beyond and it's driving him mad and nice. you know uh don rickles shows up in the movie 
while he's still young. It's just kind of interesting to see him. And uh, the themes of it, it's like a way too early like version of like maybe somewhere between altered states and that Spalding Gray monologue document or movie, oh, yeah, uh, Gray's yeah. Anatomy. Yeah. Where, you know, eye trauma. Yeah. And it's a very early example of that. Like uh, the big showy finish involves some pretty grisly eye trauma. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. it's memorable. It also has these weird sort of like 60s psychedelic moments to it where they're trying to express what his visions might be like and some of that is aged better than others and being able to see the women's brassieres through their clothes and like of course there's a cheesy cheap element to the movie but i do think it's weirdly high concept and it's sort of sci-fi angle and yeah the man is being driven crazy by what he's being shown things that man was not meant to see it is as silly as the title implies but i think there's something there so x the man with x-ray eyes is number 29 nice so at 28 i have another the curse of and also it's another hammer horror film I think this might be Oliver Reed's first big role, and that is The Curse of the Werewolf. Nice. I've seen this one. (laughs) Not a happy movie. No werewolf movie really is, though, is it? No, but like this, this, I needed a hug after. Um, It starts off, actually, with the mother of our lead character. I think she's a political prisoner and is put in jail. And uh, and the the son is conceived through rape. Um, It's... It's like a Debbie Downer of a film. Well, and he he's a werewolf because he's cursed because of sin. It's yes. not like he was bit. It's yeah. not like there was yeah. something that he did. Like, yeah. he's just fucked because of who he is. Yeah, and, it's, it's, yeah. it's a raw deal. Um, no list couldn't be without a werewolf movie as well. <laughs> so it just... And I mean... Oh, it's Oliver Reed. He's crazy. <laughs> I like the look of the werewolf. Uh, yeah. It was on my honorable mention list. Yeah. I, I definitely represent the creature features, but yeah. uh, uh, no problem with the choice, though. Yeah, it just felt wrong not putting a werewolf movie. It's kind of slow, and I wouldn't say scary. It's more of a gothic romance, if anything else. Yeah. But... Um, the curse of the werewolf. It, yeah. just it really, a lot, and a lot of 60s horror movies have this. It's all about the climax. Build, yeah. build, build. Yeah. And they pack the thrills into the third act. But the werewolf doesn't even really make a presence up until almost the third act, I would say. Maybe even halfway. But right. anyways, curse of the werewolf. Solid pick. Let's go a little arty farty. <laughs> 28 is Spirits of the Dead from 1968, starring Jane Fonda, Bridget Bardot, and Terrence Stamp, with directors, it's an anthology, Ooh. Federico Fellini, Louis Malle, and some guy I've never heard of named Roger Vadim. <laughs> okay. Okay, wow. But I think this is the one that's the film nerd pick. Okay. Because I hadn't heard of it, and then I read about it, and was like, what? <laughs> well, the, the two out of three are like, ooh. Right? So, um, it's a, it's so fascinating for film buffs. It's a little bit dry, and it's one of these PG anthology Edgar Allan Poe things. Nice. Edgar Allan Poe anthologies were all over the 60s. Like, they did a lot of these so um the Corman ones are more fun like as far as like what you're gonna watch here this is a much more straight faced you know they're not winking at you they don't have Peter Laurie or Vincent Price kind of chewing the scenery yeah but it does have a crazy cast like even by today's standards I I still like Terrence Stamp and you know Jane Fond is still working like they're still relevant working actors today and these two out of three just immortal directors working in genre it makes it an interesting watch. It's very PG. 
mm-hmm. and it's a it's an adaptation of uh, Metzen, Metzengerstein, which is an Edgar Allan Poe story that I'm not familiar with, mm-hmm. and uh, Never Bet the Devil Your Head, yeah. and the William Wilson story. Those are the three adaptations that they do. Um, and it might be more interesting than scary, yeah. but again, I think for the film nerds, people who might listen to a podcast about the best horror movies of the 60s, it was an interesting discovery. So, 1968, Spirits of the Dead. Wow. All right, so this You haven't is, seen it, yeah? No, I have okay. not. I haven't even heard of it. I am intrigued. Like, there's still some films that I want to see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this list will make me want to, of course, see it uh, more. All right, so at number 27, this is one of those. It could be... Uh, or it couldn't be a horror film. It's Peter Bogdanovich. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, His first so. studio film, and I, I think it also made the claim that it was Boris Karloff's last big budget movie as well. This is near the end of his career, and it's a very almost meta story, but it's called Targets. Targets. Yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking about. Here. Um, there's two stories that go on with this movie. One of them doesn't quite work, and that's usually to do with the killer itself, who has. America, I don't think, it's a big shock here, has a gun problem. A, what? <laughs> and I think even back then they sort of knew about it. Um, but as far as dealing with trauma of the war, it was yeah. ahead of its time. Because he is a Vietnam vet. Yes, they do play that. And I do agree the scene where he finally starts to snap and takes out his whole family was kind of disturbing. I was more intrigued by the Boris Karloff storyline about this actor who, like, he's retiring. He doesn't want to, you know, he's being... He's even debating about, you know, doing this one of these almost Comic-Con convention, going to a drive-in theater that's just opened, and they're playing his movies from his past glory. He's almost feeling like... Washed up Hollywood Squares era. Yeah, almost. He's having an existential crisis. Right. Um, I found Karloff's character, and I do believe, is he, he's, playing, he's playing himself, is he not? Or, he, if he's not, he might as well be. Right? Yeah. Um, and he knows that the end is nigh and he just wants to retire and sort of feels like he's wa- might have wasted his life. Anyways, th- th- he's done making horror movies and it f- felt very intriguing and very meta. That part kind of drew me in. And then the climax at the drive-in theater, I thought, was kind of well done up until when, you know, Boris Karloff actually goes and stops the killer. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I put it in my honorable mentions, but it's funny because you and I recently talked about Dirty Harry versus Rambo, and this sort of felt like my 60s, the 60s sort of contribution towards that. It's not that, but it's sort of the thing that's leading towards what's going to get us to that. Yeah. So it's an interesting one. It didn't make my list, but uh, yeah. Also the freeway scene when he starts taking target, well, not even target practice, that's also there's some really terrifying great, really great you know suspenseful terrifying sequences in this movie the enough the, the enough to make it targets on my list all right number 27 i mentioned terrence stamp in the previous movie this is called the collector from 1965 uh, yes. starring terrence stamp and samantha egger directed by william wyler it's adapted from a play which is adapted from a novel which is a lot of how these horror movies came to be in that age of the 50s and 60s as a horror genre entry you had to prove yourself in literature and then prove yourself on the stage and then maybe they would deem lower themselves to adapt you into a movie Mm -hmm. um this is from the director of ben-hur Oh yeah, and uh, the original Desperate Hours and Roman Holiday. Like he's a serious filmmaker of the of the time, and it's unusually dark for the area era. It's not violent, 
but it's dripping with the threat of violence. Yeah. It's not erotic, but it's highly sexually charged. And uh, it's, I'm going to warn people going into it. The reason it's so low on the list uh, comparably is it is slow paced. Yeah. It definitely takes its time. But the payoff is the psychological wear and tear on this woman. The premise of the story is this guy is a collector originally of butterflies, but he started, he, he's collected this woman. And yeah. He's got her trapped in his basement, and he's keeping her there for as long as he can because yeah. he wants. But he, he's not hurting her physically. He's not. He clearly wants to have sex with her, but he's not doing yeah. anything other than yes, possessing whole... her. Yeah, and uh, it's all about like this is going somewhere terrible. This yeah. is going somewhere terrible, and the longer yeah. it goes on. And I also must, like you were talking about your personal connection to Godzilla versus King Kong. Yeah. I saw this as a stage production at the Edmonton Fringe in like 1989. Wow. Uh, it was actually an adults only play. It was the first time I'd seen nudity on stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was a horror story told on stage, which was new to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd already loved theater, but I really attribute that performance to me, like, really thinking, like, Man, theater's amazing. Theater's so cool. I want to work in theater. I want to be part of that world. Yeah. So I admit, I bring personal affection and baggage. And does this at times feel like a film stage play and dry? Yes. But I really, really like it. So, uh, The Collector. Uh, all right. At uh, number 26, I have the original Village of the Damned. John Carpenter did a not so good remakes of it and I think it's based off the Mid- Mudwitch Cuckoos is that correct? Mudwitch Cuckoos yeah yeah, yeah. Um, evil children are always terrifying to me and that's what this is um, I, I still have some criticisms of it I think showing the children commit the violence there's something more terrifying but, but um, just the fact that kids are the supernatural not well, more alien villains if you will it, it's hard to fight against that. It, um, this movie is chilling to me. Uh, and so that's why I put Village of the Damned. Also, the kid uh, from Village of the Damned, you will also see in another movie on this list. Um, I thought he was very good. Well, I'm not going to fight you on that choice because it's going to show up a little bit later on in my list. So yeah. it made ranked a little higher for me. Um, it's the first two-thirds of the movie that I really, really like. It's mm-hmm. such a great premise. Yes. It's such a great premise. But yes. to be continued, because yes. we're going to talk about that again. Um, for me, in 26th place, I have the first tie of my list. Ooh, you did ties. Um, and they are both, again, directed by Roger Corman. They're both adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe. So, like, I'm connecting the tie, okay? okay? We have Tales of Terror, mm-hmm. which is the anthology which has Morella, the black cat, the cast of Monty Ogdo, yeah. and the facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar. Mm-hmm. And then the more comedically toned The Raven, yeah, okay. which is almost them sort of poking fun at the previous film. Yeah. Uh, it's as close to like a scream type of thing that, yeah. the, the, that the Roger Corman Poe world did. Yeah. But this is sort of the more fun version of the previous anthology that I was talking about, um, Spirits of the Dead. It, the, it's a Poe adaptation, but it does have the over-the-top Vincent Price and the seething Peter Lorre. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, the bright colors and the costumes and the R-rated stores 
stories, but the PG aesthetic. Yeah. They used to play these on Super Channel all the time when I was uh, first moved to Saskatoon. That's sort of how I was introduced to them. And I wanted them to be more hard than they were at the time, but I did enjoy them. I had some sort of affection to them. Like they, I watched them a little bit at first dispassionately, like a rerun of Gilligan's Island while I was waiting for something good to come on. But yeah. I don't know. There's something about these. And um, I'm sort of going to let these two speak for all of those. Like there was... Um, how the the Mask of Red Death, the Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah, like uh, he did a lot of feature length uh, post stories. But yes, he did. My my love of the anthology made me put Tales of Terror and the Raven here. So I'm sharing the spot from 1962 and 1963. If anyone cares, nice. So uh, at number 25 is another Hammer horror film. This was actually the third film in a film series that they were. Hammer was trying to, you know, make a whole, along with the BBC, because this is also a BBC uh, co-production, but they wanted to have their own sort of, not quite Indiana Jones or sort of a serial um, ongoing movies and TV shows, because there was a BBC uh, show of this character of Quatermass and the Pit. Um, a lot of filmmakers had this film as, as a big influence in their work, uh, most especially John Carpenter. And if you watch Prince of Darkness, a you know bunch of scientists that you know dig up this ancient artifact uh, that is something that's evil, um, you will notice lots of similarities with this movie because that's the same thing that happens here. In fact, the devil is sort of a, a theme that is done through both films. Not so much in Quater Mass in the Pit because it's aliens that are trying to you know you know mass that you know they are the evil, the ultimate, whatever not the devil. But um, I choose uh, Quatermass in the Pit. I did some research. They made me do some more research as well about, you know, the plans they had for this character. They wanted this sort of recurring character doing, you know, investigating supernatural elements and whatnot. And how it used to be even like a, a serial radio show back in the day for the BBC. So, Unfortunately, it was one of the Hammer ones that I did not get to. But it yeah. was one that did come up on a lot of favorites of, of the decade or of, of the Hammer Studios, so yeah. it's probably a, a, an, an important omission, but I'm sorry. That's okay. Look, it's... It's, it, it, it's it one was of those, ten years in that decade. Yeah, a lot of filmmakers <laughs> took a lot of ideas from this movie, and I say that with love. Like It's it's just when, oh yeah, that's where they got that idea. And I don't even know if Quatermass in the Pit is even all that original, but um, it's one of those films that seemed very influential to like people like Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Francis Ford Coppola. A lot of Joe, people saw it at the right age. Yeah, Joe yeah. Dante as well has mentioned that you know I think that that's one of his favorite movies, and I I was like I get it, I get it. So Quatermass in the Pit. In my twenty fifth spot, well, I originally one of my default obvious picks for the sixties was going to be Night of the Hunter, and then I realized, oh, that's from nineteen fifty five. Yeah, it was a couple <laughs> films. I'm like, oh, it's the fifties. I wanted to put it on the list, but it put me in mind of Robert Mitchum, and you know, it's a movie where Robert Mitchum is also bum, really fucking bum, scary. Bum, bum. <laughs> yes. Cape Fear. Um, I reviewed this for the podcast, so I'd uh, seen it relatively well more recently than, than some. And um, what I find really interesting about it, and again, can we qualify this as a horror movie or not? Yeah. The threat of sexual violence in yeah. this movie is kind of like it's nowhere near as implicit in the Scorsese as in the Scorsese remake, but it yeah. was as 
far as they could push it yeah. in an era where they actually weren't allowed to use the word rape. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they were trying to make this guy as vicious as possible in spite of the fact that the, the there was all these teeth being pulled out of him. They yeah. couldn't say that he was a rapist and they couldn't use his military background as a negative because at the time it was just un-American, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. But in spite of these obstacles, Mitchum makes this guy fucking terrifying. Yeah, Robert Mitchum <laughs> knew how to do that. So, yeah, 1962 stars Gregory Peck, Polly Bergen, and Robert Mitchum, directed by J. Lee Thompson. And uh, this guy has done everything. He did some Planet of the Apes movies. He did some Death Wish sequels. He did the reincarnation of Peter Proud and a movie that I recently discussed called Happy Birthday to Me. Yes, I listened to that <laughs> review and not, of course now I want to see that movie. <laughs> so there it is. Um, so, I don't know, all the way around, it's kind of an interesting, again, film buff kind of movie to pick. It's a very me movie to put on the list, but um, Cape Fear, and if you watch and like it, Check out Night of the Hunter because Mitchum's even fucking scarier in that he movie. He's probably one of the most classic villain roles, and he's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, well, I hummed and hawed about putting Cape Fear on that list. I kind of wondered if you would, which is why it's not on the list. I, it could easily be on it, and I agree with everything that you say. That there's, there's a certain sexual tension threat going on here that is, yes, pushed even more in the, in the Scorsese remake, but I was one of those films for the 60s that I went, God damn. <laughs> and yes, Robert Mitchum is terrifying. He's poor Gregory Peck, man. Poor Gregory Peck. It's the much more flashy, much more interesting role. Like, not to take anything away from Gregory Peck, much like people would say with the yeah. remake. Not take anything away from Nick Nolte, but yeah. yeah. De Niro is fucking scary. Yes, <laughs> he is. Yes, he is. All right. At number 24... Larry, how much do you love Reanimator? I love it a lot. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> See, and as I was looking at Reanimator and I was looking at our now dear departed friend, Stuart oh, Gordon. Stuart Gordon. I miss Stuart Gordon. Uh, he talked about a film that deeply influenced the Bride or Reanimator, and it wasn't The Bride of Frankenstein, although that was heavily influenced, but. The brain that wouldn't die. Oh wow! Nice. <laughs> An independent horror movie that uh, played countless times at you know at the Double In Drive In. This movie is batshit crazy. There's a weird side story with this other monster in a closet that doesn't. He rips a dude's arm off. That's yep. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's a strange movie. I would I would go so far as to say it's a terrible movie. Yeah, uh, it's it's actually an episode of Mystery Science Theater oh. three thousand. That's the way, first way I ever saw it. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's absurd. Yes, like like I was so kind of I wasn't quite prepared for it. <laughs> it just it just went ways that I'm like, and yes, I would agree it's a bad movie. I didn't mean to be shitty about it. No, I and I it's didn't, just how I feel. <laughs> no, I, and I didn't take it as such. It was one of those controversial on the list, but it was just I don't know. <laughs> I just I couldn't I couldn't stop looking at it. It's good that it represents the ultra cheap yeah, 60s horror movies like yeah. I do have one on the list but yeah. there were so many like made for five dollars in some guy's yeah. backyard drive-in yeah. horror movies that yeah. to sift through the bad to find the good just couldn't be worth my time yeah. so yeah. Um, 
this is definitely an example of one of those. And it is so absurd that it goes, kind of turns around to be hilarious. But like yeah. I said at the uh, introduction, I didn't want to give points to a movie that I laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, I did laugh at it. Um, but I just, when the end credits finally rolled, I just, I went, wow. So the brain that wouldn't die, that poor woman. Yes. <laughs> And then, and then, like, the creature in the closet. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, there's a lot of promise, and they pay off on that promise. They talk to the creature through the door for a long time, to the point where if yeah. we didn't get to see that monster, yeah. we would have been pissed off. Disappointed. In 24th place, welcome to yet another chapter of, is this really a horror movie, Larry? <laughs> <All right. laughs> From 1967, starring Audrey Hepburn, Alan Arkin, and Richard okay. Cranach. Directed by Terence Young, Wait Until Dark. Yep. A blind woman inadvertently finds herself in the possession of a doll, which is inadvertently in the possession of a lot of heroin. Mm -hmm. And when I talked in the introduction about the weird dichotomy of the 60s, sort of the uh, artifice of the 50s bleeding into the sort of fucked upness of the late 60s, this movie is right in the middle of that because Audrey Hepburn's performance is very old school Hollywood. Yeah. And Alan Arkin is very modern and very terrifying. Mm. Richard Crenna is kind of lost here. I don't dislike Richard Crenna, but like um, his character is asked to do weird things. Like he uses different voices to fool the blind lady. Yeah. And it kind of is cringy. Yeah. But Alan Arkin playing this absolutely terrifying villain, like... Everybody else in the movie you feel safe with, but as soon as Alan Arkin shows up in the movie, like it's all of a sudden a totally different movie. Yeah. And it, I think, invented the killer comes back when you think he's dead sort of jump scare. And it has these classic sequences that's again based off of a stage play. You know, there's a lot of people who are obsessed with Audrey Hepburn, but again, yes. to me, this movie's all about Arkin. Um, so. Is it a thriller? Is it a horror movie? For its time, I think it's going for Don't Breathe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I put it on the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 admission, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, it's on my list of things to see. I've heard, it's got that apparently classic, where the last ten movies is in the dark. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, well... That's sort of her leveling thing, right? Yeah. In order to level the playing field against her adversary, she starts smashing all the lights so that they have yeah. an equal ground to fight on. And that's the big... And, yeah. She opens the refrigerator, so that's the only thing casting light for a little while. And is he really dead? Is he still somewhere out there? It's well done. Nice. Nice. All right. At uh, number 23, this is the, the first um, of uh, the anthology movies that is on this list. It's not the only one. I also do think this is probably the first uh, film of the list of which there will be many of Mario Bava's movies. Um, I, I think this man is completely underrated and has made a lot of movies that a lot of people have homaged from, if you will. So I have Black Sabbath with Boris Karloff, who... The weirdest vampire story. It's, I do believe it's the second one. Um... For he my, sort of wraps it, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it's the second one. The third story is the one I would say is, you know you have to sit and watch, where it's got that dead person in the bed that may not actually be dead. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, admission, like when we 
I think uh, we're, you know, there was this the time where we were going to do it and really do it, and then we didn't. <laughs> right. uh, but I was, you know, and of course I thank Shudder for this as well because they, you know, you know, here's the Mario Baba collection, and I right. went, thank Yay. you. So uh, Black Sabbath, um, it's a great anthology horror movie. It's the first of the Mario Baba movies on this list, but it won't be the last. I think he is awesome. Well, again, I've been on the record as saying that uh, I've always felt a little bit at arm's length about a lot of Italian horror movie and yeah. the Jallo and the, like. Uh, even though they did break a lot of ground and things that I like, especially in the slasher genre and then like the explicit gore and sensuality on screen, I think I'd really get behind it. This is another title that we are going to talk about again a little bit later on the list, so I'm going to reserve my judgment. <clears throat> but interestingly, it is the only Mario Baba picture that I have on my list. So um, there's that. 23 is a shockingly dark one from 1960 called Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. Oh. stars Gwen Watford, Patrick Allen, and Felix Alimar. I don't really know them. And it's directed by Cyril Frankel. It's a, I'm not sure if it's Hammer, but it is British. It is the bleakest and balliest, ballsiest horror movie that I'd seen from the 60s in a lot of ways. It directly addresses not only pedophilia, but how a community comes together to defend the pedophile. Ooh. Like, he's okay. rich and he's a high credit in the town. And again, the word rape is never used. You know, it's Ooh. one of these classic, you know, British, uh, the child was interfered with uh, sort of euphemisms. And, uh, you know, the parents who are trying to get justice for their little girl are right, righteously furious. And the community is shutting them down and shutting them down. And, geez, it's a good thing stuff like that doesn't still go on today. Mm. <laughs> right? And in a movie like this, you'd think, like, it's a morality play. So, like, what's, what's going to be the payoff? It's 1960, so they're going to they're gonna soften this. Can I spoil a movie for you from Go the for 1960s? It. Go for it. Yeah. The pedophile is acquitted, Ooh. and the next day he kills a child. Ugh. The best friend of the child that he'd already raped. And there's a terrifying scene because the he chases the two girls. I think he was originally after the the same girl again. The other girl was with her, yeah. and they get in this boat and start rowing away from him to get away. Yeah, and they don't realize that the boat is tied to the moor. Ugh. So there's this image of this guy grabbing the rope and pulling them back in, and then they cut away. Yeah, one of the girls got away, the other girl didn't, and the movie ends with the community apologizing to the family. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Like, maybe this is as much social commentary by way of bleak drama than a horror movie, but I have never seen anything like that implicitly awful, like, addressed in such an early, you know, yeah. horror movie. And uh, is there a little bit of artifice, like I talk about the old-fashioned performances kind of taking you away from it? Yeah. Maybe, but the subject matter alone made this to me... Just a capital H horror movie. Yeah. So never take sweets from a stranger, which is good advice, too. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes, Larry. I, I, I feel dirty now. I think that's the idea. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, at uh, number 22, you like Richard Matheson, don't you, Larry? I do. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to talk about this movie a whole lot more. Um, it's The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. Um who this is not the last Vincent Price movie on this list as well, but I sort of felt that we needed to represent the Price, who gives a very 
stagey theatrical act. There's some there's some creaks and moans with some of the acting, but the idea itself is so terrifying that you, you were possibly the last human being on Earth, and you were surrounded. I mean, you, they could be zombies, but the, you know they're vampires. Well, it, it's, Romero admitted that he basically took his whole Night of the Living Dead premise from I Am Legend. Hey, yeah, yeah. He just replaced vampires with ghouls, as yeah. he called them in Night yeah. of the Living Dead. So, yeah, the influence of Matheson is, is couldn't be understated. Yeah, um, it's such a strong story, and Bryce is good in the movie. I mean, I you know the character itself, you you have to have the chops. I I will give both Charlton Heston and to a greater extent Will Smith. Um, you know, they, they had to deal with, you know, they are the lead of this movie and they carry it. And whether you're good or not it sort of depends on, you well, know, where the movie lands. But um, we're going to we're going to review it. And I do have a lot to say about it. But even though I picked it as a review, it's not on the list. Really? Um, I'm not going to talk completely shit about it. But right. you said there's problems and I agree. Right. But uh, love the story as yeah. well. So but, but to be continued on that discussion. Last Man on Earth. Another day to live through. Better get started. Those cells are still living, Dr. Mercer. Off one another. There has to be an answer. You heard that all communications are ended outside the continental limits? Yes, I heard. That leaves it in our laps. Last Man on Earth is an adaptation of the Richard Matheson novel, I Am Legend. It's got directors, here we go, Ubaldo Rigona and Sidney Salco for the U.S. version. And uh, Filmed in Greece, if I'm not mistaken, or at least Italy. Apparently. Vincent Price is The Last Man on Earth, and um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like... The problem for me is that I'm a big fan of Richard Matheson. I'm a big yeah. fan of the novel. I have seen The Omega Man, and I think it's cheesy, but yep. it's kind of fun, amusing cheesy. Yes. And I have seen I Am Legend, mm-hmm. and I do have problems with it, but I love the ambition of it, and mm-hmm. I love what it wants to be. And there hasn't been a clean, like, solid, knock-it-out-of-the-part adaptation of I Am Legend, yeah. which might be Matheson's best novel anyway I mean the the argument could be had <clears throat> so because I'm such a fan of the novel I'm a little bit harder on the adaptation sure and uh, I complimented Vincent Price in the past sort of his sort of well celebrated vampy performances in the Roger Corman movies yeah. but also his ability to bring serious gravitas and horror when asked yeah. to like in the Conqueror Worm or the Witch Finder General or whatever it is yeah uh, here I'm split right down the middle actually about yeah. the performance because so much of it is especially the first half of the movie mm-hmm. is done with narration we spend a lot of time just watching behavior in yeah. Vincent Price and hearing him talk 
and I feel the performance in the narration, mm -hmm. but actually for the first act, especially the movie, he looks bored and disinterested. There's a scene where he's supposed to throw a can across the room yes. frustratedly, and it's the most half-hearted toss. It's like not a pro. Like he is at the end of his fucking world. Yeah, and rope. you don't buy and it. And you don't buy that. And uh, every day is this like the same thing: cleaning up corpses, sharpening new stakes, making sure you have enough gas to run the generator. And every day is the same. And uh, you sort of. It's suggested the deterioration, yeah. But it it's not properly explored here at all. They they just move to the next chapter and like the these these vampiric creatures that are they 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 land somewhere between vampire and zombie. Mm -hmm. They are not coordinated and strong physically, but mm -hmm. they still have some cognitive ability. Morgan. They, they know his name. Morgan. They know where he sleeps. Yeah. And they know that he they that he hunts them during the day. Yeah. They hate him. <laughs> yes. And again, this should be a daily oppressive thing. Like while he stays up all night listening to his jazz records, there's an army of things banging at his door trying to lure him out so they can kill him. Yeah. And that's every single night. Yeah. And that doesn't come across in this movie for me. And yeah. that's an awfully big part of the psychological weight yeah. of the story. Yeah. Now, once we get into the actual story and he starts, you know, discovering that maybe he isn't in fact the last man on earth mm -hmm. and what he is seen to be by the outside culture that's developed by these creatures. Mm. Now he has become the monster. He is the thing that hunts them when they are yeah. at their most helpless. It starts to get interesting, but I was already kind of making my little face <laughs> by yeah. the time that happened. It's a, it's a good clean watch. And, uh, I feel like Omega Man overcorrects, and Charlton Heston is just a fucking lunatic in, in his take on the movie. So, yeah. like, he has to be severely psychologically damaged, but mm. still capable of sustaining himself for survival yeah. and dealing with the escalation of this yeah. apocalyptic event. What would it seriously like to be the last man on Earth? Yeah. It fails on answering that question, but it succeeds on being an interesting story. Yeah. So that's where I, I open on this. I wanted to forgive Vincent Price a little bit, because this really felt like a low budget. Um, for the size of the story. For the uh, film. But there's definitely sequences where you're watching, and you can almost hear the director saying, Okay, now, show me frustrated. Show me frustrated. Now, show me angry. Yeah. Angry, Vincent. Uh, like, like the director's coaching him and you can almost see him that's sort of like robotically changed kind of emotions and you don't buy it. It's very, very, you know, ham-fisted uh, acting. And I agree. The, the, I, we were sort of talking about this last night that if you get this role in I Am Legend or, you know, The Last Man on Earth, I have not read the, the original source material so right. I don't know, that you are the star of the story. Like, you, you, they, you, you are followed for a long, long time and you see this progression like he's already been probably mad as the story starts but you know why because yeah. he's all alone you know he's talking to himself um, I don't know how important the dog is in the original story right um, some people claim that this is the most um, uh, close to the original source material of the adaptations I don't know he is so desperately lonely yeah. That when he hears a dog bark I think yes. initially in the book it's he just hears it and it's far away yeah 
it excites him like nothing has in the world. Yeah. The fact that there's another living thing that's yeah. not a vampire yeah. somewhere in yeah. this city yeah. is a reason. It's a reason to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So when he finds it and it's infected, it's just, it's double heartbreaking, right? Yeah. He just wants somebody to look after, somebody to talk to, even if it's a fucking dog. Yeah. But again, that aspect is not properly explored in this version of it. Yeah. They try way harder in the Will Smith one. Well, I mean, he has the dog, at, you know, at the beginning, and Their I thought, companion, and I thought that was a sort of a good masterstroke. Because when the dog does get infected, like it sucks. It yeah, and you understand why Will Smith is upset and he has to kill him. Yeah, I thought that was probably a really powerful scene in in, in uh, Smith's version. Yeah. Um. So I was kind of disappointed that it was just a over and done really yeah. quickly. And but they they rushed through that aspect yeah. of it. The story. It still made me kind of go ah, because then the next scene we've got that little doggy grave that he's like patting. Yeah, but yeah. it's like oh no, this was a really good sort of emotional thread at least. In the Will Smith version, I can't remember the Charlton Heston one. I've seen it such a long ago. Yeah, it's a little goofier. But the, the dog, how do they treat the dog in that I one? Remember. See, yeah. Anyways. Um, there's, there's weirdness to it. I like that, like, dumping the bodies into the pit is part of his day. Yeah, and that's a horrifying idea. Even when we, in Flashback, we see him looking for his daughter. I think in both versions, we don't need, like the other versions, we don't even get that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that he witnesses an accident in the Will Smith version, but yeah. uh, in both in, in both the book and the movie adaptations, we find out about his backstory yeah. uh, differently. But again, the, there's the, a lot of it in this version. The flashbacks slow down the movie quite a bit for me, yeah. and uh, I've noticed, and it's got to be a budgetary things. The stuff that's shot in the studio. The audio is noticeably better. Yeah. When they do the scenes at the picnic tables, there's scenes where the mouths don't seem to be matching the words. Like, yeah. I, I get lost in, like, technical filmmaking aesthetic instead of yeah. actually paying attention to the movie. Yeah. And, um... I'd be curious... Like, you've read it, right? Yeah. Do you, so, do... Like, is there that flashback stuff with his, you know, friend that is, you know... Trying to I get don't remember his friend being like the lead zombie. Yeah, um, but I thought he that was an was interesting part of the effort to try and figure out what this plague yeah. was yeah. and how to slow it down, stop it. And he did fail, and he did yeah. lose his family in the process of that failure. Yeah. All of that still stays true to all of the films. It's just I can't remember the degree or what specific the science was that he was involved with. I don't remember what they talk about in this movie about the bat thing where he is yeah. just immune to that. Um, I don't remember that specifically, but I could be wrong. I, yeah. I listened to an audiobook version of this years and years ago. Yeah. And I've watched all these other adaptations, and somehow they've all sort of melted into one thing in yeah. my head. But there's this image of the I Am Legend that I want in my head. Yeah. And it has much more pathos to it than this yeah. particular version. But if you're a fan of Matheson and you like these apocalyptic sci-fi nightmare scenarios, yeah. I do think it's worth a look. Yeah. I do like in this version that we get... I enjoyed sort of the best friend angle that we discovered that he's the zombie at the beginning that, you know, really wants him dead. We're going to get you. And when he was a human, he was the one trying to convince yeah. uh, Price that, that this, this is, is vampires. It's not just a plague. There's a change happening. Yeah, yeah. And I do like the fact that at the end, you know, we humans, we, we do screw it up for ourselves that this group that is infected but has managed to put the symptoms at bay... Um, they want. They see him as a threat, and he the is, mob wants blood. Yeah, blood and vengeance. he is the cure. Like that, 
I enjoyed that angle that, oh my God, people like the woman knows now knows. And, but although she got bit again, so we're right back to where we started that they ultimately doomed themselves by killing the last man on earth. So and I, I do like how that's handled in the narrative. A lot of people will say, well, he's the last man on earth until he meets that girl. But yeah, she's not really human. Is yeah. the catch. Yeah. She's this sort of weird area in between. And when he finds that he can actually maybe do something about it. Yeah. He has already become such a villain to them that yep. the mob is against him. Yep. They are never going to listen to anything he has to say, yep. even though what he has to say can bring them back to the world. Yep. No. So the I get that. That that yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah. That story. See, the story is strong enough that um, I was intrigued all the way. I know there, like you said, there's some creaks and moans. Yeah, you know, at the beginning, I'm kind of like, how is he still getting garlic after all those years? But then, of course, where is he the, getting all these cigarettes? Yeah, he's chain smoking through the apocalypse. Yeah, like, like he won't know. be the last man for very much longer. <laughs> um, I, the story is strong enough that it's intriguing, but I definitely agree that you can definitely feel its small budgetness, if you will. And I felt like it wasn't I'd missed that I needed to watch for the 60s, but I just yeah. couldn't quite find a place for it on the list. But I did want to talk about it. I don't regret watching it. So. There you go. Sorry, in 22nd place, this one's a brand spanking new to me. Uh, 1967, Lon Chaney Jr., Jill Banner, and Sid Haig, directed by Jack Hill. Spider Baby? Yep. I love this. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> Ignored by its time, but I guess it's been recently rediscovered. Yeah. Um, it's funny on purpose. Uh, or maybe not this... uh, and absurd definitely yes uh, and very 60s in its editing uh, the premise of an affliction that causes mental regression at puberty sure. like you basically instead of transferring into an adult turn into like a caveman yeah. or something um, is interesting and uh, it's weirdly played seriously until it's not you know, like, like I know, I know how you feel. I think, yeah, there's a certain madness to this movie. I find the quote-unquote children terrifying. The, the idea of them definitely are, and just the way everyone just puts up with them because they, yeah. they have to. They're yeah. family, and this is just the way it was. Especially like the one daughter character. <laughs> she, she, she's chilling. The silence, uh, yeah. There's tone shifts, there's absurdity, there's an unstable nature to the movie, but it, it's strangely hypnotizing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It brought me to mind, weirdly, of my review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I that, think there's some influences there. Well, just the insanity of it and the cumulative feeling of madness yeah. is kind of what the movie is about. Yeah. And I don't know if it was, like, achieved consciously or accidentally or if it was just some sort of mix of this somehow spider baby happened it's yeah. almost more of an experience than a movie but yes. for the experience 
22nd place is Spider Baby. Yeah. Because, wow. And again, that just showed up on Shutter, I think, or something. Or it was all, all of a sudden, yeah, it was there. And yeah, I looked it up online. There's people saying, this movie's fucking crazy. And yeah, yeah, yeah I watched it. And oh, that was my first thought. That movie's fucking crazy. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about it again. Okay. It, it ranks higher on the list. I, I'll save. You know what I say, but I agree with you. This movie is but fucking crazy. What? I, I I admire its its madness. I admire it. Maybe like Lynch fans should seek this one out. I think a lot of people should seek this out. Yeah, it hit a lot of the right buttons for me. All right. At uh, number 21, I have another film that a lot of filmmakers uh, saw it as a kid in the right age, and it was a huge influence. And it's another Mario Baba film. Uh, asterisks or, or a footnote of this film, this film could easily be mocked. It's the kind of film that would show up on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 films. It's, it's definitely campy, campy, campy. But um, in 2016, Nicholas Renweffen, I hope I said that correctly, okay. the director of Drive and The Neon Demon and Only God Forgives, uh, made a presentation and showed a special screening of Planet of the Vampires. Stop me if you've heard this, uh, this plot before. A group of astronauts receive a distress signal from an alien planet that's never been explored. They go down and find a giant... Well, they find a graveyard of alien corpses. Uh, but also discover uh, that another species, another species of aliens that has formed that planet but have been here for a long, long time uh, use the humans as vessels, if you will, uh, to survive. They're more zombies than vampires, but that film... Let's just say I know where Dan O'Bannon got its ideas for Alien. Um, this film is is kind of fascinating that way. The sets is because it's very low budget are actually neat to look at. What they got away with, it's one of those films where they did a lot with v- very little. Uh, and the Alien homage, well, you could tell where he got Alien from because this film definitely uh, is Alien in a lot of ways. It is there's a lot of things even the makeup of the spaceship looks exactly like the alien spaceship from the original alien i can't speak to this movie specifically but there's a lot of movies from the 50s and 60s that have essentially the same net starting premise of aliens Uh, yeah that's i haven't seen this particular bava entry so i i can't really speak to it but uh it's I know this era of movie. I know this style of movie. Yeah. So I could, I've got a picture in my head. So. Yeah. Well, there's uh, what when you when the when you see their spaceship, you just kind of went oh, okay, and then just the plot itself. Yes, I know it's been recycled from so many sort of sci-fi alien horror movies. It wasn't perfected until Life Force. Really. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but I just went, huh. Planet of the Vampires. Uh, it, it just needed to be here. So um, another Mario Baba film, uh, Planet of the Vampires. Okay. Well, you said earlier in the list that you'd feel weird not including a werewolf on it. This is not a werewolf picture, but would you believe that there's some zombie movies represented on this list? I am shocked. In 21st place, it's called Plague of the Zombies from Woo! 1966. Starring Andre Morrill and John Carson, directed by John Gilling. Not that I know any of those people. It's still the era of the voodoo zombies where, like, you know, there's, like, Haitian voodoo rituals that, that will bring people from the, the dead. It's almost really kind of a, 
uh, a remake or reimagining of White Zombie, which is kind of considered the first, quote, real zombie movie. Mm-hmm. But in spite of it being the old school cursed, you know, slave zombies, mm-hmm. the imagery is right out of Night of the Living Dead as far as them arising and doing the slow walk and like the just that picture in your head that you have of the classic zombie form. And it is here before Night of the Living Dead. It's just Night of the Living Dead abandons the sort of religious or cultural context of the zombie and turns them, like as Romero said, into straight up ghouls. So um, it starts out as more of like a murder mystery. What's happened? These people are being killed and then the corpses are disappearing and like, let's investigate. And yeah, it's going to culminate in a lot of people in a big empty tomb being (laughs) chewed upon or chased down by by zombies. It's a complete predictable genre exercise. I think it's sort of my equivalent of your pick about the mummy's tomb. Mm Mm-hmm. You haven't seen this movie, but you've seen this movie. Yes. But if you like this type of movie, yeah, this is called Plague of the Zombies. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 No judgment here. Right. No judgment here. All right. So at number 20, I think there's two actual names for this movie. Uh, it's another Vincent Price jam, The Witchfinder's General or The, the Conqueror, Conqueror Worm, Worm, I we think. We talking about that again. Yes. Um, I kind of walked away saying this is almost the birth of torture porn. I saw I, I I when I was reading about it and I, I saw the unrated cut of it, uh, which is hard to find, but it's there. And I walked away kind of exhausted from the sheer amount of unpleasantness, violence uh, of it of all. Vincent Price kind of gives a chilling portrayal of the Witchfinder General, who's got his lackey who does not trust him, but for good reason. Um, and it's weird how the movie is so about him. Yeah. It's kind of uncommon to yeah. have the focus on such evil. Yeah. Um, it's talking about during the time of the Salem witch hunts, if you will, um, and what went on there. there. Um, the torture scenes, the whippings, the, the, the everything about it, like it, like it just felt like it went on and on. Apparently it caused quite the scandal when it was released just because of the sheer amount of whipping or violence or torture if you will and uh i get it um i kind of thought this was like this is almost the beginning of of the 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 torture porn genre i feel like you pulled that thought right out of my head because this movie will be on the list again and i thought the exact same thing this is like a pregenerator of the torture porn yeah like um in a weird way, it's weird that there isn't like a whole subset of witch torture movies. Not yeah. that I want them. I think but there like, might be, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, uh, it's 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 not it's not trash torture. It's no. historical. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we'll talk about that again too. In twentieth place, here's Hammer. I told you Hammer is going to be represented again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is from 1965. It stars Betty Davis ah. and Wendy Craig. It's the last black and white Hammer movie. Fun fact for trivia founds, and it has similar themes to No Sweets, as far as you know. There's abuse being threatened to children, mm-hmm. but this one sort of plays with like what's going on, who's responsible. Um, there's red herrings. Who's who did it? Who's crazy? Who's not crazy? Or who is or is not responsible? And uh, it's one of the many kind of echoes of Psycho. Mm. After Psycho hit in 1960, there was like a lot of these where the central character is flawed, but can we trust them? And there's going to be a reveal. So is the little kid 
uh, Joey, who we hear is responsible for the, the death, the real problem here? Or is it the nanny? We suspect a nanny because she's got Betty Davis eyes. Nice. <laughs> I will not sing. I will not sing. I already sing once in this podcast, Larry. Um, but it's an interesting one because, uh, yeah, it's character piece. Uh, again, a lot of these psychological bits. And uh, it's a supernatural free horror movie. Yeah. I mean, other than like, oh, wait until dark. Or most of the movies that I have are pretty like proud supernatural monster horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is psychological. So uh, if that's your jam, it's kind of a different flavor from Hammer. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of used to Hammer being bright and red yep. and, and yep. Uh, a lot of low low corset dresses. Yep. And like, you yep. know, <laughs> this Busty! Is, this was different, so yeah. it stood out a little bit. For okay. Me. The Nanny. Okay. Oh, at number 19, this is a film that could easily not be a horror film, but the level of paranoia in this movie made me just once again my hands like my finger was starting to curl it's John Frankenheimer's seconds um, Rock Hudson is bored in his marriage and decide, and hears about this sort of secret company that he can get an, essentially a new life a life that is full of wealth and hedonism and whatnot. and at first it's great but then well it's empty then it's empty <laughs> La Dolce Vita mm-hmm. I think said it best in that sort of regard and he lives to regret that decision, but the company... You cannot unmake that decision. Yes. So I give you seconds. Um, I think it's probably my favorite Rock Hudson movie. I can't think of another one. I thought he's really good in it. Just And the game owes a lot to this movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's going to come up again. I yeah. mentioned The Twilight Zone yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. This feels like a Twilight episode, zone episode in movie-length form that absolutely works yeah. as a movie. Yeah. And again, not to get too meta, but Rock Hudson was a gay man yeah. living in a Hollywood that wasn't super accepting of gay men. He was always yeah. playing romantic leads. Yeah. So the idea of him playing somebody who wanted to reinvent himself and yeah. live a second other life, yeah. there's some layers here, even yeah. on top of the layers that are in the movie. Yeah. I think Seconds is fascinating. Yeah. It is on the list. Again, it's one of those weird things like, is it sci-fi? Is it horror? It's 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 Twilight Zone. Yeah, it it's, is. The whole I, I I'm trying to wrap my head around the theme of you know fulfill all your desires. That's because there, there is that kind of theme, but I don't know. It's I, uh, I don't know. I am still wrapping my head around it. That's why it's 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 as higher as a. It, and it's like still very very modern today. Like it's yeah. it doesn't lose much watching it. Today. No no. It's it's a, like it's. I think it's a, a classic for a reason. It will be brought up again. Speaking of things that we've talked about already, my 19th position is The Village of the Damned from Ooh. 1960, starring George Sanders, Barbara Shelley, and yep. Michael Gwynn, and directed by Wolf Rilla. Um, yes, you mentioned it's based off the novel The Midwich Cuckoos. Uh, and the cuckoo is, of course, the bird that will knock the eggs out of the mother's nest, yeah. lay its own egg, and then make another bird raise its own children. Yeah. And this is sort of what the uh, setup for the movie is. The great, great first act where everybody in this town simultaneously just drops asleep. Yeah. And there seems to be an invisible barrier in the military. Anybody gets too close and passes this invisible barrier, yeah. it just collapses and, like... Like, how would the world deal with such a thing? And is the barrier bigger? And, like, it turns out this is affecting a few other communities, too. And it just happened. And then it stops happening. Phew, we're good. Yeah. But then 
every of age female in that town is suddenly pregnant. Yeah. Which at first caused a lot of finger pointing and accusations and yep. about people's honor and everything. And the first and second act of this movie, mm-hmm. I would say it kind of amazing. I feel let down by the third act of this mm-hmm. movie. And uh, I don't know if it's, again, I haven't read the novel, but there's just, there's there's such great concept and great energy going into the build that yeah. um, I feel like maybe because of when it was made or because, you know, yeah. they couldn't get to the implicit violence of the children because it was just the yeah. age they weren't ready to do it. Yeah. And yet, and again, I hate to keep repeating you, John Carpenter, one of the great horror filmmakers, made a remake of this, and it is not good. Yep. Like, I love John Carpenter. This is not me, like, trying to talk shit about John Carpenter, but that would rank low for me on his movies. So, what is it about this movie that seems so... I know, I was going to ask that question yourself. How is this original far more terrifying than Carpenter's remake? Because he did drop the ball. He made this, he made in one year two movies. Yeah. In the mouth of Madness and Village of the Damned, I, I I would argue that maybe he was too rushed with this, but I don't know. Like, and again, I'd be totally happy to hear uh, to see another whack at it. There yeah. is a sequel, Children of the Damned, which yep. is significantly less interesting, but yep. not uninteresting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I know we already talked about it, and I'm sorry if I repeated you, but yes, 19 is Village of the Damned. Ah. So at number 18, and we will be talking about this movie at length is The Innocents. Um, I'll save a lot of the talk for when we do review the movie, but it was chilling enough, and there was a lot going on um, that... And it's that old-fashioned haunted house movies. The house is very much a character in this movie. I love the sets. Um, There's a lot going on with this movie. There's a lot. Uh, The kids are amazing. Um... Yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't want to talk about any more about this because we've yeah. got a, a great To be length. continued. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously going to be on my list, too. Yeah. It was one of the movies that I chose to review, so I'm not going to fight you yeah. on it. Um, we're going to go to 18th place, and here we go with Larry being an arty-farty film nerd thing. One of the blind alleys that I have that like I know by reputation, but not by actually sitting down and doing my due diligence and homework is this director, Ingmar Bergman. Hey! And I know the movie that I'm supposed to have on this list is Hour of the Wolf. Yeah. But it's not. The one that I have on the list is Persona. Huh. Uh, But I'll give an honorable mention to Hour of the Wolf. But I think, actually, in a weird way, this is closer to being a horror movie to me than Hour of the Wolf. Yeah, yeah. uh, Actually kind of a conversation piece more than anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not meaning to be dismissive, but... Um, this is from 1966, stars B.B. Anderson, Liv Allman, because I guess that was uh, his muse was Liv Allman. We will, uh, we again, will talk about Liv Allman and Bergman later. Foreign, RT, you know. Um, I think each viewer that watches it is going to decide from themselves what it means, but it's about a nurse who's caring for this mute actress, and the, the they first find their personalities clashing, mm-hmm. and then they find their personalities kind of melding. And then one sort of becomes the other, and then both kind of become something new. And it's it's fairly, frankly, descriptively sexual. Like, they talk yeah. about giving blowjobs, and they talk about, mm-hmm. like, sex acts, but they don't... It's not implicitly shown that way. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what to make of it, but it actually affected me. Like, okay. I walked away from thinking about it. Like, images were showing up when I was trying to sleep. 
So I have compliments to make, even if I'm kind of mystified by it. I am entertained to. If this was like a David Lynch movie, I might be railing about what does it mean? Does it mean anything? Is it just, you know, it's black and white. It's subtitled. It's experimental cutting and it's arty farty. But there's something there. So that's where it is. 18 Persona will give an honorable mention to Hour of the Wolf. Um, and I'm curious about Ingmar Bergman, but I'm not necessarily foaming at the mouth. Mm -hmm. Those were the two that I watched, was the Hour of the Wolf and Persona. So, Well, we will be talking about Hour of the Wolf later. All right. Okay. Uh, at number 17, I have another Mario Baba film. Uh, one of his, Most people will say this film, if there's a handful of films that you have to watch out of his whole collection, this is one of them. Black Sunday. This story actually has been done again with a film that you recommended and is also also on this list. But basically, a vengeful witch and her fiendish servant return from the grave and begin a bloody campaign to possess the body of the witch's beautiful look-alike descendant with only the girl's brother and a handsome doctor standing in her way. Um, the visuals of the witch and what is done to her... <laughs> is terrifying i don't know there was something about this movie that just it, it stuck with me as well it's beautifully shot in black and white uh if you have not seen it i highly recommend black sunday by the great director mario baba again i have not seen that one so i will not comment on it but uh, there's a weird synchronicity too speaking of witches because number 17 for me is v or Vi, or however this is, capital V, capital I, capital Y. Yeah. Um, 1967, starring Leonid Kirvilvov and Natalia Varley. Yeah. Directed by Konstantin Erzhoff and Gregory Kropichayov. Thank yeah. you very much. I probably wasn't close at all, but I tried. Respect me for that. Mm -hmm. It's said to be the first horror movie ever produced in Soviet Russia. Yep. Um, in Soviet Russia, movie produces you. Sorry. A yes. uh, man is forced to sit for a three-night vigil in the tomb of a witch. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. Much like Black Sunday. Yeah, exactly. That's what I say. The, yeah. the, the yeah. There's a weird synchronicity here. Uh, and he wants to get out of it, and he keeps on trying to leave, and he keeps on being thrown back and put into this tomb, and it's very nightmarish. We're going to do a full-length review of it so like we can sort of get into that when we actually do it. But mm -hmm. it's one of these things. That it's from 1967. I'd never heard of it. I watched it recently. And sort of like Persona, there were images that yep. just yep. stayed. Yep. That movie's all over the place, but yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, to be continued, we will be reviewing yeah, that. Well, it's also on my list, and we will be talking at length. Natalia Varley
actually haven't really reviewed a lot of Russian movies. <laughs> I, I haven't even the, seen Sputnik yet, or is it? Was oh it, yeah, Sputnik. Yeah, actually, pretty pretty decent. Um, I, I guess we I did Night Watch and Day Watch to yeah. those, but uh, this was an interesting one. V. It's from 1967, and it is directed by Konstantin Ershov. Yep. Um, and Gorgi Kropachevov. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I don't know. Oh, I, uh, I, I, I hadn't I, heard of this movie at all. This is one of those things when I was looking into the decade of the 60s, like, mm. what should I watch? What have I missed? And all of a sudden, this movie just sort of had this resurgence of interest. Mm. And it's really short. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long. Yep. And it is the vibe for me of the helplessness that one feels in a bad dream. Okay. When you're trying to punch somebody, but your arm feels like it's underwater. Yeah. Or you're trying to leave a place, but no matter what you do, you're inexorably drawn back to this place you won't, don't want to be. Yeah. And in the case of this movie, this place this young monk does not want to be is in the tomb of this dead witch. Yeah. Where he is to preside over her corpse for three nights. Yeah. With only his faith to yep. protect him. Yes. And this is after he had a negative encounter with a hag witch that didn't end particularly well. Well, he did actually murder her. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there is some revenge coming his way. There's a reason that... that, that and He's so helpless to his situation. This entire community is making him do this. He repeatedly tries to escape it, yeah. and he is repeatedly forced to face this thing. And like a fable, it happens over that three, the three nights, the three yeah. act structures, the the uh, house made out of sticks, the house made out of hay, the house yeah. made out of bricks. Yeah. But instead of winning for this little piggy, it doesn't play out particularly well for yeah. him. But what's compelling is sort of the fable aspect of it yeah. and this premise. Three nights in a tomb with the corpse of a witch yeah. who whose death you are responsible <laughs> for. Yeah. What are you going to do? How are you going to survive? Yeah. And even if you do survive, will you be sane? Will you be the same person? Will you be changed? I love all of the imagination that is poured into the story. Yeah. And yet, it's sort of the visuals that we get treated to yeah. that stay with me. Like, the story is strong, but when I think of Vi, it's those weird demonic creatures that are moving at strangely yep. intermittent speeds and you know just the look it it's not a silent film but at times it feels aesthetically yep. like one of those old silent films like you're watching the cabinet of dr kelgari or something yeah yep. and it has this cumulative nightmarish effect it's one of two movies that i watched for the 60s that i actually found infected my dreams a little bit Interesting. And for that reason, I am a big fan mm-hmm. of Vi, but uh, I I like to hear a second opinion. And you'd never seen this before either. Nope. This is a first time watch for you. So yep. I'm curious, did you think that was an, a left field pick? Did you understand where I was coming from at least? Um, well, I couldn't stop watching it. It, it. it was definitely fascinating. The movie starts on a really, how did, really, really strange note for me where we see a bunch of seminary students get out and they're all excited and everything, and like debauchery is bad. Generally, is the theme of this movie, and these guys are like grabbing alcohol or taking whatever, and then they grab some maidens and ho, 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 we're off to some love. And, and the ladies are screaming, but it's kind of like anticipatedly maybe, but they go off to rape these women, and I'm just like, whoa, what am I watching? 
And, 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 and they are set upon by this witch. Yes. Um, who, it's even sort of foretold, and this is where I, my thought for the, because I saw it a couple of times actually, is that if this guy would have played it cool instead of reacting violently, um, he could have had a, you know, a nice wild ride. I, this young, it's, it, the witch turns out to be this young woman. That's her, her true form. And it's in a very bizarre scene, uh, like the three friends, you know, want, go, want to stay at that house and one gets inside the house. And I don't know. Again, in the same fairy tale structure, you can stay here, but each of you must sleep in different place. Yeah. One person will sleep by the fire, one yeah. person will sleep in a bed, and another person has to sleep outside in a stack of hay. Yeah. And again, it's sort of like this three little pigs thing. They, yeah. they, they all get different fates because yeah. of where they're assigned to sleep. It is a very bizarre scene when the old lady shows up and has her arms extended. Like You are generally uncomfortable, but then what follows right after is this really... Violent beatdown. <laughs> well, not only the violent beatdown, but this really kind of bizarre scene where she just jumps on his shoulders and they go for a run in the middle of the night in the sky and you're just like dream logic yeah what and again like it is very strange like that is a strange choice the i I don't want to say the themes but the what would you call it The, the 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 tempo or it's funny and then it's scary and then it's bizarre like I, I, there's a word I'm missing here but it's uh, the, the feel of the film seems all over the place for the first couple of 30-40 minutes and then it sort of t- slows down a little bit but that's when it becomes terrifying when we know that he's guilty of this murder and he's trapped he has to spend three nights and each night is progressively worse for him after the second night, he is kind of rendered mad, and yeah. his hair has turned completely white. Yeah. And he is desperate not to go night three. <laughs> yeah. But the town won't let him punk out. And, like, that's another scary element, is, like, everyone is in on it. Everyone knows he's guilty of, of what he did. And they won't let him escape his fate. And that idea itself is also terrifying to me. But the movie never tips its hand as to what it's talking about. Like, is it about female vengeance? Or is it about indoctrination or the sort of, like, obsessive madness of, of religious belief, you yeah. know, on, on, off the leash? Um, it could be about both or neither of those things. Yeah. But I think why I, again, I, I maybe give it the same bit of forgiveness that a lot of foreign films get. Yeah. Because it's old and it's in black and white and it's subtitled. It's Color. Or sorry, it's it's color, but yeah. uh, because it's older, like generally yeah. speaking, with the '60s, we give it more respect. The yeah. fact that we're still watching it 50 years later means yeah. it must be important, right? Yeah, it's less that the A and B, C, or the these choices make sense, yeah. but that they do express that dream logic to me. That thing that I've experienced when I'm having a dream or a nightmare, where it doesn't make sense, but I just have to accept it in the context of the dream. And while I'm having the dream, I do accept it even though it doesn't make sense. The mood, that was the word I was looking for. The mood kind of goes all over the place in the first little bit, but I didn't mind it. Right. It kept kept me very interested as to what is to come next. Um, uh, I, I like... I do also like a lot of the visual trickery that the film does pull it off. I mean, it's old school. There's a lot of forced perspective shots, but there's a shot where there's like three doors that our hero all of a sudden does, and I'm kind of like, 
that's interesting how they would did that did that shot. And we spend all the time in that same room, but the room seems to change subtly. Yeah, there's a very Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe to it. Um, I definitely understand the sort of cult appeal by the third night, though. What the third night provides with all these actors who are dressed up in some kind of body painter makeup and or you know arms coming out of the wall, which we have seen before, but maybe they stole from from Vi. Who knows? Right. A lot of the old theatrical tricks when the witch really starts going towards the end uh, and all these sort of supernatural things is sort of impressive to watch. Um, and, f- you know, and for my money, that that alone is a reason to watch Vi or V. Yeah. And he's not saved by his faith. No. Which is sort of the ending I was expecting because it was all being forced on him. Yeah. He's being forced to have this confrontation. In the end, I thought that there would be either some sort of consolation or forgiveness. Yeah. And then no. because he honored her by doing the ritual and staying there for the three nights, he would be, if not forgiven, at least let off the hook. But yeah. nope. 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 Uh, he's I, dead. <laughs> I, I kind of figured he was dead just because he was responsible for the beating. Yeah. I mean, he did it out of fear. Yeah. It was um, self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, you say that the young lady was the true form of the hag, or yeah. was the hag the true form of the I young think lady? it was the lady was the true form of the hag. Right. Um, they even did a sort of foretold that like this isn't the first time she's done something like this, and that, that she was married before. So that's why I kind of thought if he would have not been so afraid of a different faith and religion, I hate to say this, he might have had a booty call. <laughs> now, you could argue that then she would never let him never really leave, but he would have been alive and perhaps happy. I mean, I'm sure it would have been cool to date with marry a witch. And again, like how tolerant is he if like yeah. these are supposedly monks at a seminary school and the yeah. first thing they want to do yeah. is get rowdy and yeah. take advantage of people. Like, yeah. Uh, but I went, yeah, but this film made me go down a lot of rabbit holes. And yeah, it stayed with me. Like, uh, yeah. I remember when I first watched it, and like I said, it's really short. Like, yeah. I was like, huh. Yeah. But it kept on images would go in my head. The, yeah. the witch perching over him, or just some of the weird crawling that it looks like the, 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 the somehow the camera's being cranked at a different speed at times, yeah. the way they're moving across the room. Yeah. It stuck with me in a way that it's just, it earned its place on the list. No, I understand. Uh, it also had the benefit of being new because, like, I, yeah. it was a discovery for this list. But um, I don't know. I think it's worth a look. Absolutely, it's a good old-fashioned witch story in a lot of ways. Um, it's based off a, a folklore, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. This is the first Russian horror movie they claim to have been made to be made in, in the USSR in yeah. the communism Russia. In communist Russia. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I agree with you. It's it's it didn't make my list, but at the same time. Um, I, 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 like I said, I watched it a couple times to really let it digest, and I was blown away by the visual trickery that the, the film, you know, pulled off, especially towards the end. So I go. say, good job, Vi.
number 16? Uh, uh, yeah. Once again, we love the Bava. We love the Bava. Uh, this is another film that deeply influenced a lot of filmmakers like Stanley Kubrick, uh, especially when he was doing The Shining. It's kill and kill again. Um, basically, the plot is there's this child ghost that's you know that was you know secretly murdered uh long ago in this castle and you have to remain inside or this child ghost will come and you know get you if you will um you could definitely see where Kubrick got some of his ideas for the scares in the shining with the twins with this of course uh, our uh, heroine or hero if you will um has to solve the mystery of why the child was well, what happened to the child and why it's this vengeful ghost now, and that's all unraveled. Um, there's a how they handle the child ghost is very creepy. There's a certain level of creepiness. Uh, I mean, I sort of laughed at the sort of like they have the you know the the cliches of the, you know the wolf howling at the moon and the organ music playing and whatnot, but the mystery itself uh, is is compelling enough. I love the look, and they've got cobwebs everywhere, like. The cliches are all there, and it has that you know traditional wild '60s psychedelic lighting that Bava used, where there's lots of reds and orange and yellows that almost seems out of place a little it's bit. Unmistakably, that Italian yeah. aesthetic, very yeah. bright, loud yeah. colors. Yeah, and even the music is almost kind of '60s mm-hmm. as well. But how they ha- the story itself and how they handle the vengeful girl ghost is creepy, creepy, creepy. So kill and kill again. All right. Uh, again, I guess I'm going to reserve it. You had me at Ghost Child, but yeah. I have not seen it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, in 16th place, I have my second tie. If this was a more modern list, this would have been like my my sort of straight face procedural section for movies like uh, Seven or Silence of the Lambs or like mm-hmm. that are straight crime movies, but are so dark yeah. that they kind of edge that. I have a tie between In Cold Blood Interesting. And the honeymoon killers. Is that, is that a Kubrick one? Nope. Uh, it was the first seven days were shot by some idiot named Martin Scorsese, but he was fired from the project. Um, there's a lot of interesting film trivia around the honeymoon killers, but it actually is interesting over and above that. Of course, uh, in Cold Blood, based off of Truman Capote, who basically invented the true crime novel, popularized, let's say, the true mm. crime novel with it. And uh, his sort of approach of a looking of trying to understand this man who is responsible for an evil evil crime, and uh, the movie doesn't show us a lot of the implicit violence, but we get the details of the crime in graphic graphic detail. Also, shout out to Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson is one of the main characters in this movie, and like I I felt like like I'd seen him my whole life, but I discovered him as Herschel. In The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and this fucking dude was in everything. He was. He's character. in the host. Yeah. He's in the Exorcist three. Yeah. He's in like um. He the, was a behind the mask. Workman character. Actor, it seems man. like ever since I noticed him, I realized, oh, you're in everything, and yeah. sure enough, here he is, young and strong. Yeah. In In Cold Blood, I think that one's a fairly famous movie. I don't think I like need to have to say too much to defend it. The Honeymoon Killers is interesting on a lot of levels in that um, the main character is, she's considered, they call her obese. Yeah. She's got a little bit of fat on her body, but she's by no means obese. But compared to your classic form leading lady, she's 
a bigger person. And uh, she starts out in this relationship where this guy is just taking advantage of her and trying to build money out of her. But she becomes obsessed with him and he likes how much she will do whatever he says. And it's one of these cases where the two worst people met each other. Yeah. And this is not a romantic, it's it, even, well, Bonnie and Clyde, they'll argue, is not particularly romanticized since yeah. this movie, but like, uh, they do increasingly terrible things. And because we establish with them on some level, we're not cheering for them, but we're with them as we watch these violent acts play out. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty subversive, I think, at the time. Obviously, I think Bonnie and Clyde was the movie that pushed it into the mainstream. Yeah. But The Honeymoon Killers was one of the first movies that was like, no, crimes are terrifying. They're not n not just for noir entertainment purposes. Real people have real terrible things happen to them. And the people who do those things are very broken. Yeah, They're not romantic. They're not cool. Yeah. And uh, not a lot of movies were saying that, and that one did. So I'm sorry that was a lot, but yeah, in 16, I guess my, my crime tie in Cold Blood, Honeymoon Killers from 67 and 69, respectively. Although I guess uh, the Honeymoon Killers, because it was so controversial, didn't get released until the 70s for in some areas. So some people might take issue with it being on the list, but it was completed in 1969, so I... Sort of like Henry Portrait of a Serial yeah, Killer yeah, was yeah, yeah, finished yeah. in 87, but wasn't widely released until 91 or whatever. I hear you. I hear you. Here, let's just take a stop. of 1960s horror. I do hope you hang in there and listen to the next episode coming up in two weeks and we'll get down to the top 15 horrors of the 1960s. You can send your feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com You can check out the website at rankinreview.ca and you'd be doing me a favor if you mentioned that other movie fan in your life that you enjoy this podcast called Rank and Review. We got more in store coming up. We're going to do an Oscar-themed episode. We've got another Marvel episode hopefully coming soon. And uh, I owe you guys another Star Wars episode. So uh, keep your ears to the podcast. And as always, this is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons saying thank you so much for being there.